All right, well, fourth and fifth graders, you can be dismissed to your class. And uh, I know I was here last week, and uh, it's a privilege for me to be back here again. Sam and his family are finishing up a much-needed uh, break, and so they're enjoying some time away today. But they'll be back next week as Sam leads us off in our new dashboard series. But if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you will know that we've been in this series called He Said What? And it was, we've been looking at the very difficult sayings of Jesus. And what makes those sayings difficult is not that they're hard to understand, that they're actually pretty easy to understand. What makes it difficult is that it's hard to apply. Is that how do we take what Jesus said and apply it to our lives? And that very first week, we talked about this idea that we should not judge other people. But sometimes it's right for us to judge people. Sometimes there's reasons for us to make judgments and assessments about someone. For a child molester, for example, we should say something about a person who does things like that. So when do you judge? When don't you judge? And that's kind of sometimes it's always hard to, to figure out and to know how to do it properly. And then the second week we talked about loving your enemies. And sometimes that's very difficult. And when, it doesn't mean that we should be a wallflower, but when do you stand up and when do you back down? And how do you do that in a way that would bring glory to God? And last week we talked about worry. And even there too, we recognize that in worry that sometimes there are things for us to be concerned about. We should be concerned about the unity in our families. We should be concerned about our finances. But when does that become worry and when does that become counterproductive? And this morning as we finish up this series called He Said What, the difficult teaching that we're going to look at is on anger. On anger. So let me ask you a question just as we get started. What makes you angry? Don't shut it out. Don't shut it out. But (laughs) what makes you angry? You know, I, I don't know what makes you angry but I know what makes me angry. And chances are that the person you're sitting next to doesn't get angry with the same things you do, which might cause you to be angry at each other. I don't know. But the reality is, is that we all find things that we can be angry about. We all have things that, that trip a trigger in us that cause us to react out of anger. And that anger could be, it could look differently. And for all of us, there's, there's a couple of ways that we respond to anger, a couple of different personality types. Some of the personality types are spewers. You know, they get mad right away, and you just know they're mad, right? You just know that they're mad. And sometimes there's stewers, not spewers, but stewers, people who let things kind of sink in a little bit. Now, now here's the thing. Generally speaking, a spewer and a stewer is not the same person unless the school administration tells you that you made an absolute fool out of yourself on national television, so kind of tone it down a little bit. But we can see in both images of Coach Kelly that there's that 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 spewer that just lets it all out, and then the person who stews about it and lets it kind of build up before they dump on somebody. And generally, the, 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 the stewers generally don't always, whatever they're angry about, that's they're not always the recipient of what they're angry about. You know, you go to work and you have a bad day, you come home, you kick the dog, right? You things build up over time, over time, over time, and before you know it, the guy who cuts you off, you know, you, you just, you get, you go off on him, even though he had really nothing to do with the, with the, with the sense of your rage and anger. So let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here would say that you're, you're spewers? You just let it all out, you don't care. Man, you get angry, all right? And, and how many would you say that you're stewers? And how many of you? I mean, how many of you say that you just never get angry at all? Yeah, yeah, liars, right? <laughs> but here's the thing: out of three services, only about like five or six in each services were were uh, spewers, and the rest of is, is steward. Now, I don't know if that's always healthy because sometimes we can hold on to things for a really, really long time. But nonetheless, why we want to talk about this topic is is because 
Anger can be something in each of our lives that derails us from having an intimate relationship, not only with God, but with other people. And so we're going to talk about anger today. And the context that we're going to look at this is in Matthew chapter 5. Now, we're going to look at some other scriptures today as well. But in Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus begins one of his most famous messages. He did a message series called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe some of you have heard that, uh, but it was his best preaching that he did. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking some readily accepted ideas and he's raising the bar a little bit. He's taking what is comfortable to say, this is what we expect. If you want to be a worshiper of God, a follower of God, this is what you can expect. And he bumps up the bar a little bit. And he's doing this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And now the audience, it's important to know. It's important to know the context of the story and who's in this audience that he's speaking to because in that crowd are people who have already said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I like what he's all about. There were people in that crowd who were just trying to figure some things out, like, I don't know, is this guy for real or not? And then there was another group of people, the religious people. The religious people were called Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were the ones who did almost everything perfect. They lived by the letter of the law. So when Jesus was talking about, hey, this is the way things are, they, were, they could nod their head in agreement. Yes, this is the way things are, supposed to be. But when he bumps it up a little bit, they kind of recoil. And here, Jesus kind of gives us some insight on why these religious people would recoil. And it was found in verse 20 of chapter 5. And this is Jesus talking. He said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because what Jesus was realizing, and what the Pharisees probably was being brought to their attention, was that the Pharisees lived a very outward-focused life. In other words, they were more concerned with what they looked like on the outside than what was going on on the inside. They were more concerned about what people thought about their actions than what God was, con- and then what God was concerned about their attitude behind those actions. They did everything very, very well on the outside. But what Jesus understood, and what he's going to understand, is that what goes on in the heart matters. And as we get to this topic of anger, it really is an issue of the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. This is, this is part of his beginning of, of the message. He said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Now, this is important. Let me just pause for a second. You have heard that it was said. Six times now in chapter 5, he's going to use this very same opening. You have heard it said. You have heard it said that this is the law. This was the box that you were living in. This was your paradigm. But then he goes on to say, but I say, he's raising this bar, he's raising this, this standard. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You see, when Jesus said to the Pharisees specifically, you know, you have heard it said, do not commit murder, they would say, yes, we know that. That's the sixth commandment. We understand that. You shall not kill. We, we, we know that. But when he bumps it up a little bit more, something begins to shift in their hearts because he, they realize that it's just not about external appearances. It's something that goes on on the inside. He, Jesus is raising the standard. He's raising the expectation, and he's making that association between murder and anger. And the reason why, the reason why Jesus does that is, is because Jesus knows that a heart that is calloused enough to commit murder must first pass through a heart that's corroded with anger. You don't get to murder without going through anger. So I want to think about this. When, when we really, if we, if, this is why this makes it difficult. Because when you think about what Jesus said, for most of us, we're quick to dismiss that message because we think, you know what? I've been angry. Yeah, I've, I've been angry before, but I'm never going to get to murder. 
You see, that, that gap in between anger and murder seems so big for all of us that we think, there's no way I'm going to get over there, so we kind of just dismiss it. Well, he's not talking to me. Because what, why we don't think he's talking to us is because we, we justify our anger. We make rationalizations of why we've gotten angry, but we never think we're going to get to murder. And you know, and that's probably true. Hopefully it's true for all of us. Hopefully it, we've never committed murder. But here's what, here's what I do know. In anger, a lot of us have wounded other people. In ang- with angry words and angry actions, we've killed important relationships in our life because of what we've said or what we've done. Because of anger, we may not have done a physical murder, but we've destroyed lives and we've destroyed relationships because of that. And that's the heart of the matter that Jesus is trying to get at. And, and maybe you haven't necessarily done that, but there might be some of you sitting here this morning who have been wounded, mortally wounded, by somebody else's words or what they thought about you. And it doesn't matter whether it happened last month or a year ago or 20 years ago, is that you recognize that maybe a piece of you is missing because of what somebody said. And Proverbs 18 reminds us that the tongue has power of life and death. Words matter. And words spoken in anger have the capacity to do the same thing that a physical murder does and destroy us. But if we don't recognize the fact, if we just think that that chasm is too far and too wide and that we're not going to ever make that, we're going to miss out on the importance of Jesus' teaching. But now, when we think about anger, if we know anything about the Bible, we know that sometimes it's okay to be angry. You see, Jesus never said, don't be angry. He never told us that. Anger is just an emotion. It's a response. We We can't help it. It's the same way we can't fight sadness or we can't fight... You know, joy, it's, it's just an emotion that we have. But how we respond to that is what Jesus is trying to get at. How, how we react in our anger when, when things don't go the way we expect them to. That's what Jesus is getting at. So what, what I want to do this morning is, is try to get us to, to the place where, you know what, we can narrow that gap. But this tension exists because in that Old Testament, we know that God got angry. It's very easy to see that God got angry. So how do we respond? And why did God get angry? Well, you know, God just didn't kind of get a little bit angry. God flew off the handle. I mean, you read about the descriptions of God's anger, and God says, it says that he burned with anger, that his anger was aroused, that he was furious at his people. So when we read that, say, well, God expressed all these emotions, then how am I supposed to do it in a way that honors God? I mean, if, I mean my, yes, my anger has burned before, but so has God. So what do I do with that? And there's this tension. And we, and we know that Jesus, in the New Testament, overturned tables. He walked into the temple, didn't like what he saw. He just didn't say, hey, guys, if you don't mind, um, you know, you're kind of disrupting what this place was really for. You know, this, my house is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a marketplace. So would you mind just packing up your things and leaving? That's not what he did. He started flipping over tables, and he started throwing people around and breaking stuff. So when you look at that about Jesus, I mean, God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, what do you, what do, you do with that? How do you live? How, how do you express anger? And so I want to look at three characteristics of godly anger, because I think that's going to help all of us today. Three expressions, three characteristics of godly anger. Now, let me just say this before I jump into it, is that if, I was, if my life was a reality TV show, and there were cameras following me around and cameras in my house this past week, you would see that I missed out on every one of these. I, I, I don't have this right. I think God has used a good sense of humor to allow me to have to do this message this week after the week that I just had. But my story is not that unique to your own story. You, you can think back to how you've gotten angry this past week. I know. You might have gotten angry this morning. You might have gotten angry on your way here. 
You know, so anger, we don't have to have it perfect, but I think for us to take the time and to be able to look into what God's word has to say about how do we respond with anger in, in a way that's godly, that doesn't break down and destroy relationships, but actually has the capacity to be able to heal and restore and have forgiveness in our lives. So that's what we're going to look at. And the first T of, of godly anger is it's tactical. Tactical. Now, they're all going to start with T. This helps me to remember it. You, you remember it as well. But it's tactical. It's like it's strategic. That godly anger is always strategic. God, God just never flew off the handle. God just never wanted to blow off some steam. There was always a purpose behind God's anger. And it was important to know about God's anger, and we, can, we, we get that, that this wasn't just God, you know, bl- you know, blowing off steam, is because in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, this is how, how Moses describes him. God had passed in front of Moses, and, and Moses says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, here it is, here it is, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That God is a compassionate and gracious God, and he's still slow to anger. So God, God's anger is always justified. He just doesn't react. He has a purpose behind his anger. And there's, again, lots of examples in the Old Testament, but this is one coming from Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 21, that I think really illustrates for us God's righteous anger. And it says, uh, just, just part of the first verse, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Here, here, here's the sentence I want us to focus on for a moment. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who are before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. See, God had a very specific plan for his people. He had called them by name. He was leading them. They were the promised people. They're the ones who were going to sustain the nation of Israel. They're the ones who were going to usher in the messianic age when Jesus would come back. So God had the definite plan. And as according to the chronicler, is that when they didn't, God's wrath and anger was poured out on them because he knew that if he didn't do something, they would just continue in the way that they were going, and they would continually and slowly drift away from God. So God couldn't just stand by idle and let that happen. He had to take action because God's anger is always tactical. He's always trying to do something to, to draw people back to himself. And, and maybe we can remember it this way, is that God's anger is, is not meant to get us, to get us back. It's not used to pay us back, but it's used to bring us back. Whenever God is angry with his people, when he's angry with us, it's not a a sense of revenge. He's not trying to to get even with us. God's anger, he wants to bring us back, and it's always an act of love, not an act of hate. God's anger was just never randomly thrown out there. He always had a purpose. It was tactical. Now, Now, doesn't that look different than our anger a lot of times? I mean, isn't our anger a lot more of a response to what somebody did to us, that we think somehow we've got to pay them back, that we have to get even and, and get revenge? That, that's not the heart of God. That's not, that's not the essence of what it means to have godly anger. We, we should be strategic in our anger. You see, when, when my child acts up, I just don't let him randomly do whatever he, he wants to do or she wants to do. Generally, it's he. But... <laughs> I just can't do that, that somehow, because I want, I want, I want him to rest, restore him. I don't need to set boundaries in his life. I have a purpose for my anger. But it's when, it gets, when, it, when, it, when I get angry out of frustration or because, um, he, because I'm selfish or whatever that might be, then that's not a healthy anger that I have. It has to be with a purpose to be able to bring him back. And, you know, when you get angry, 
you have to have some kind of, why, why are you angry? What's making you angry? And what, what result do you want to see come from that? Is it just to get even? I hope it isn't because that's not a godly kind of anger because God's anger, that first T again, was always tactical. The second T is that God's anger is targeted. It's very specific that he, he does have, he gets angry at certain things. Throughout the scripture, you see God, in, get God getting angry at uh, people of, that are served unjustly. He gets angry at the people that aren't taking care of the widows and orphans. He gets angry when people disobey his word. He, so he's very targeted in, in what he gets disappointed in. In the same way, our anger should be that, a godly anger. See, it's okay to get angry, but a godly anger should get angry at the same thing God's get angry about. That whatever breaks God's heart should break our heart as well. That again, it's, this is kind of giving us permission to be angry, but to do it in a way that makes us take action, that makes us become uh, more Christ-like, that allows people to, to be able to experience the glory of God in a fuller way. So, so for example, let me kind of tell you what that, that would look like. The difference between this, a godly kind of anger that's targeted versus just a, a crazy, ridiculous kind of anger. For example... Getting angry over a child being sold into slavery breaks God's heart, and it should break our heart as well. But getting angry at a child who's crying and won't go to sleep, that's a little bit ridiculous. A righteous kind of anger is knowing that people go to bed hungry every night. A ridiculous kind of anger is being upset because your appetizer is 10 minutes late to your table. A righteous anger is bullying. If you know that somebody is being demeaned because of who they are and who God created them to be, and, and we allow that to happen, we should be angry at that. But a ridiculous anger is yelling obscenities to a stranger in a car next to you because they cut you off. A righteous anger is poverty. Knowing that people don't have enough to even meet their basic needs, and in some places in the world they're dying by the thousands because they live in such a despicable state. We can be angry about that and want it, that should move us to action. But a ridiculous anger is assaulting the clerk at the store because the price on an item and what was rung up on the cash register was 10 cents different. A righteous anger is knowing that people will sleep outside tonight. A ridiculous kind of anger is having to do a few chores around the house. You see the difference? Is that it's okay to be angry at some things. But the things that we choose to get angry at are generally pretty ridiculous. And what's sad is that oftentimes these things that break God's heart, they don't break our hearts. We have this capacity just to be able to turn aside. But God wants us in a sense. He's giving us permission to be angry in the same way that he's angry because not only is God's anger tactful, tactful, but it's targeted. But the third thing to know about godly anger is that it's only temporary. God's anger is only temporary. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, says this. For his anger, that's God's anger, lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Again, go back to those Old Testament stories. Read through some of the Psalms, and you see that, that God was angry. But then at the end, he restores his people, and there's this sense of completion and wholeness, and, and that the relationship has been put back together. Not only that, people are drawn more closely to him. It's, it's a temporary kind of anger, because godly anger does not hold a grudge. Are you holding grudges? Do you have something against somebody today? Again, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know if it was last week or 15 years ago or 50 years ago. That doesn't matter. That's not godly anger if we hold grudges against people. And we're reminded of this in Leviticus, in the Old Testament book, chapter 19, verse 18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And yet, if we want to be like God in our anger, then it has to be temporary. And yet we hold on to so much. And here's the thing. We think that somehow we're getting back at that person, but really we're being imprisoned by the grudge that we hold. Because chances are they don't even know that we hold that grudge. Or maybe they do because you haven't spoken to them in a while. But don't be imprisoned by your anger. And here's, here's as I stand up here, knowing that I don't have this all, all together and all, have all this right, some, some of you are thinking to yourself, but, but if you really only knew what, what he did to me, I had two small children at that time, and, and he left me, and the struggles that I've had for all the years since, if you really knew that, how can I not hold a grudge? Or, or if you knew what she said about me, and she knew it wasn't true, but she went ahead and told people that anyway, if you knew that that's what she did to me, then you would hold a grudge too. Or, or if you knew what they did to me, how they embarrassed me, how they ridiculed me, how they didn't invite me, then you, you would hold a grudge too. And, and, and perhaps maybe that's the natural instinct, but that's not what God is calling us to do. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, In your anger do not sin, which is basically what we're talking about. It's the essence of what we're talking about. But then this next verse, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you got that advice before you were married and you were going to get married and some wise person told you, hey, whatever you do, if you want your marriage to last, whatever you do, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And that's, that's a great advice for a marriage. But it's also good just for our, our general relationships. So here, here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're feeling like if you have a grudge against somebody, like when I said, are you holding a grudge and then a name immediately came to your mind, I want you to take care of that tonight before the sun goes down. That don't allow that, 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 that grudge to hold you back. Because as it says here from the book of Ephesians, it gives the devil a foothold. It allows us, it imprisons us. It allows us to, to not follow and be obedient to God. It allows Satan to come in there and begin to, to continue to erode those relationships. And here's, here's, what I, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Once you hold a grudge against one person, it's very easy to justify doing it to somebody else. And so that's why Paul is encouraging us in Ephesians, don't go to bed angry. So, so maybe, maybe it's not possible for you to, to call the person or get together with the person who, who, uh, who you have a grudge against. Maybe they've passed away. Maybe you don't even know where they are anymore. Maybe something just has to happen in your heart. So we don't have a heart that's, that's prone to want to murder someone, but we have a, pr- a heart that is prone to love and to encourage and to restore and to reconcile in the way God has done that to us. So, so th- those are basically the three T's. They're fairly simple is that it's tactful, it's targeted, and it's temporary. Because let me ask you this question. Does God have any right to be angry with you? Does God have any angry, right to be angry with me? And, and the answer is absolutely yes. We, we've walked in disobedience. We've done things that we know that we shouldn't have done. And God had every right to fly off the handle at us. But did he? No. 
Instead, he did just the opposite. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. He offered so much grace to us so we could have this life, so that we could continue to have this relationship with him. He didn't break it off. He didn't sever it. He's not holding a grudge against what we've done, but he has every right to. And so if God did that for us, wouldn't it only make sense that we adhere to the teachings of Jesus when he said, hey, if you committed murder, you'll be judged, but if you're angry, you'll be judged as well? We need to allow that same provision that God showed to us. We need to be able to show that to other people. Because imagine what that would look like. What relationships in your life might be different? What would this Thanksgiving and Christmas, what would change this year if you, if you let go of a grudge and, and reconciled and didn't hold that anger in your heart? What would it show? What would it illustrate to your children if you no longer had a house that was always in turmoil because of anger issues over silly things? That would make a difference. And then what, what difference would it make if for all of us, if we just be able to, to live out of this appreciation, knowing that God could have done anything he wanted to us, and yet he decided just to show us his grace? What would that look like as we impact the kingdom? I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that, sing, that speaks specifically to this amazing love that God has for us, even when we didn't deserve it, that he decided to pour it out on us. And in the midst of the song, there's some short musical interludes where the band is just going to play. What I'd like you to do during that time is just think about the love that God has for you specifically, but then seek the Lord. What does he want you to do because he's shown you that great love? What do you need to do today in order to resolve those grudges that you might be holding on to? What does it mean for us today to be able to think about, hey, what do I need to do to begin living in a way where my heart is not angry but is able to be uh, only angry in the way that God wants us to do? So let's stand. I'm going to have a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you for the challenge this morning as we're reminded of what it means to live with a godly anger versus our human fleshly anger. And God, we, we readily admit to you that we can't do this on our own. That is a challenge, and it's difficult, and that sometimes it's not even desirable. That we don't feel like it. But God, you never asked us to do only what we feel like. You called us to be more like Jesus. And so in this moment, as we have heard the truth from your word, I pray that you would give us each of, each of us the courage and the strength and the desire to live this out. Not sometime in the future, but perhaps beginning this afternoon. Allow us to do what we need to do to bring glory and honor to your name. Because you love us so much and you deserve that response. In Jesus' name, amen.